Hello and shalom. Welcome to this episode of Image Bearers Radio. I'm your host, Joe Amon. We got a great show ahead, so buckle up and hang on. Here we go. Well, hello, hello. Shalom, shalom, everyone. Welcome to this episode of Image Bearers Radio. I am your host, Joe Amon, coming to you all the way from southwest Louisiana. Actually, today, a really balmy and rainy and dreary southwest Louisiana. I hope the weather is nicer wherever you are, whenever you happen to be listening to this. Uh, It's a privilege to be on Hebrew Nation Radio, and um, just want to say I hope you're doing well, and I hope uh, everything is, uh, is going your way. And if not, I hope that you're learning something through it, right? Because that's what life is. It's about learning and growing. Uh, Too heavy at the beginning. Well, I just want to say thanks for uh, tuning in, whether you're listening to this live on Hebrew Nation Online or whether you are catching us on the podcast feed. I just want to say thanks. If you're first time dropping in um, to check out uh, IBR, Image Bearers Radio, to see what it's all about, I appreciate you stopping in. And I uh, just want to uh, let you know who I am. I'm the pastor at Out of Ashes Ministries uh, in DeRitter, Louisiana. If you don't know where that is, that is, it's okay. There's Google Maps for that. Uh, we're in a little corner of southwest Louisiana and um, about an hour away from every, everywhere and anywhere. But it's a great small community, a great place to be, and we are super, super excited and, and honored to be able to have this platform uh, to, to come to you guys and, and have some really cool discussions. Uh, we live stream our Shabbat services every Saturday at 10 a.m. Central Time, so if you don't have a fellowship or if your fellowship meets at a different time uh, and you're just looking for something else to check out, and we would love um, to have you check out our services. Come join us. Um, and uh, get involved in the comments and stuff. It's always great. Uh, we stream to our website, outofashesministries.org slash live. Uh, we also have a mobile app. Uh, it's called the Share Faith app. You can go to Google Play or to the apps, Apple App Store, and you can download that. It's a container app. You search for Out of Ashes, and uh, it'll come up. We're the only one in there that I know of, uh, and it'll be your default um, whenever you open it up. We live stream to that app as well, so if you'd rather watch on your cell phone, uh, we also simulcast to Facebook, to our Facebook page, and to our YouTube channel. Uh, so any of those ways you'd like to catch us, um, we are active in the comments on Facebook. Uh, we don't have comments on YouTube or on the, the website just because we can't monitor all those at the same time. But anyway, uh, check us out and uh, tell us where you're from, and we would love to, to have you involved in the conversation and get a chance to meet you. We're, we love always meeting new people um, that Hashem is bringing to the Torah and, uh, and you know through following Messiah and also. Uh, it's an awesome thing. Uh, we have a great family, Cyber Mishpaka, and it's awesome. So uh, if you're a, a longtime listener, thank you guys for sticking with us. And uh, I know episodes have been a little here and there lately, and I appreciate your patience. Um, we uh, dealt with the hurricanes a couple months ago, uh, and um, we had a newborn. We have a newborn baby. I'm the father of four. My lovely wife and I have four beautiful children. So uh, we're getting back in the, in the swing, and I appreciate everybody being uh, patient and sticking along with us. So... Um, Man, what a time we're living in, right? We are going to uh, just kind of talk of today about kind of where we are 
and, uh, and who we're supposed to be and what we're supposed to be about. What, what is God saying to us in these times and, uh, and how we as the kingdom, as image bearers of God, are supposed to be responding and like what what's happening and um th- I don't want this podcast and it's not going to turn into some you know um some right wing or left wing or you know independent or fundamental whatever um political ranting show uh there are some great news shows on here on Hebrew Nation uh that you know you can check out if you if you like that kind of stuff if you if you do like that kind of stuff this is probably not going to be that um but I do think it's important to address kind of where we are and uh, and just kind of add another dimension or another facet to the conversation. Uh, so let's just ask the Father to, to be with us during this time, and uh, then we will jump into this week's episode. Avinu Malkinu, our Father and our King, we humbly come and ask that you teach us what it means to bear your image, what it means to see and want your reputation to be held high above anything else. Bless everyone who's listening to this episode, Father, as we dive in to talk about what's going on in this chaotic world. guys. So what a last few weeks, right? Holy smoke <laughs> What a crazy, crazy time. Um, and yet, yet, if we kind of look at things through, um, you know, not through such a narrow sense, but kind of where uh, through a historical lens and kind of a, a 40,000 foot view kind of way, um, not as crazy as many other times in history, if we're going to be really honest, um, not taking away from all the volatility that we have in and surely our American uh, politics right now, but it is our American politics. And though our nation, because of our power and influence in the world, we do affect the world. Um, you know, this is not, we don't have mass genocides and, you know, we don't have all those things. Um, and some people would say well, yet, but we don't. And um, so I think it's important to approach what's going on with, you know, kind of a clear head and some sense of um, of understanding um, and, and temp, uh, temp, I don't know the word to say, temperance, temperance, that's the word, <laughs> temperance. See, the thing about this program is that, well, it's actually because I'm kind of lazy, um, but I don't do a whole ton of editing, so if I slip up on a word or whatever, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna leave it in there, just mostly because I'm lazy and don't want to fix it, uh, no, and, and just because it's just the way it is. So, um, I, I really have done a whole lot of thinking, and those of you that, uh, follow our Shabbat, uh, services, um, you know that the last few weeks we've been really we've kind of pulled away from our Matthew uh, study that we've been doing, and have kind of used this opportunity to address where we are and what we're supposed to be doing as the the body of Messiah. So um, there's a really important concept that I think we all need to think about, and we need to think about it in light of of ourselves first, personally, um, and then communally. Um, because uh, I, I'm all about community, and I think that's uh, of utmost importance. Um, however, communities are made up of individuals, right? So it's important that we think about how we're thinking about things. Um, it's important that we think about how we're thinking about things. And you know, really the truth of the matter is that perception really is reality. I know that's a kind of an, an old corny statement, but um, you know, there's something that really 
interests me in the sense that um, as as Biden was being, uh, you know, we, everyone kind of knew that he was going to be the president and, and inauguration and, and all that kind of stuff. No matter how you feel about it, it really is not. There's no, um, I, you know, it's not that I don't care. I just it is what it is. He's the president. However, it, it worked out. It is what it is. Um, and so, um, as this thing kind of began to unfold. Uh, in our in our Parsha cycle, we're in the the Parsha uh, the Parshiot having to deal with the Exodus, uh, or not even the Exodus yet, but the uh, Israelites' time in Egypt and the birth of Moshe and all these kinds of things. And um, it was really interesting to me to see one side of the political spectrum, basically the conservative side, kind of looking at uh, the the Democratic Party, uh, you know, majority in the government. And saying, well, like this is this is like the Pharaoh kind of thing. This is, you know, we're we're going to be under this bondage, and so we have to cry out for God for a redeemer. And, and some, you know, many people thought that was Trump, um, or thinks that is Trump, or whatever. Um, and then I have other good, like Christian friends, you know, Bible believing, and you know, they may not practice Torah, but I mean, I, I know these people. I know their prayer life. I know they love God. They serve Him to the best of their knowledge and their ability. Um, on maybe the other side of the political aisle, on, on more of the the liberal liberal side, and and they saw this as a completely different thing. They saw Biden kind of as not as Moses, but um, Biden and the Democratic Party um, majority as kind of like well, we're being f- freed from the tyranny of um, you know uh, white nationalism or whatever that phrase everybody's throwing around, white supremacy, um, you know, Trumpism. Blah blah blah, and all this kind of stuff, and and it's just it. I'm, uh, it's not to say you know not to throw shade on either side. It's interesting to see how we're thinking about it. Again, I don't care about taking a side necessarily. I believe in standing for righteousness and judgment. Those things are the foundation of God's throne. Without those, there, God has no you know He has no standing. Um, but the 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 way that we think about it, perception really is reality, and what we're being told, and what we're being taught, and what we're being fed. Um, if we allow those things to shape what we believe, then then we will see whatever we expect to see, right? So, um, and this is a this is a psychological thing. Um, this is a I mean it happens in church all the time, right? Um, I, I'll just use me as an example because I don't I don't know anybody else's background enough to you know to be able to say comfortably. So I'll just use me and I'll say you know um, I grew up Southern Baptist. And there's there's certain uh, dynamics in in especially small country Southern Baptist churches, right? There's a doctrine and a dogma and a theology and a statement of faith and all those things that we believe, and uh, and they're scriptural, you know. But like everything else, everything is proof texted to a to a point. Um, and so I I got out of the Baptist circles and got into the more Pentecostal based kind of spirit filled circles, uh, Assembly of God, full gospel, you know, back in the nineties and stuff. And there began I began to see other scriptures that I'd never read in the Baptist church, and it 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 was kind of leaked into the prosperity gospel and kind of charismatic and, and non denominational circles, kind of prosperity gospel ish um, kind of things where. You were being taught and using scripture as proof text to back up um, what you should believe, right? These are the things that you should believe, and if you don't believe these things, then your faith is not right. You got to get you got to get your faith right. 
um, that you got to correct your, you know, your faith walk. And so those things they're told, they told us to believe. And yet in my life personally, um, I never saw those things come to pass. Um, and just like silly examples, like, you know, well, not silly to, to me, but, um, I don't know how many times, you know, a handful of times, um, where, you know, a preacher stood up and said, Hey, you know, that God is moving. You need to sow a seed, a financial seed right now, because, you know, God wants to remove your debt, but he won't do it unless you give. And they quote, you know, two or three proof texts to, to substantiate that. And being the, you know, in that place, um, I mean, my wife and I, you know, reaching the checkbook and, you know, write a check for money we really didn't have, um, or scrape together whatever change we had, you know, to give. And, and yet, you know, 15 years later, 18 years later, we're still paying off debt from that very time. Like, you, you understand what I'm saying? Um, and so there's these voices, not only in the religious world, but in the political world that are vying for our attention or are trying to tell us what to believe. And if they can convince us that X is true, then we expect a certain outcome. We expect a certain thing to happen, right? So the, these, we have to be really careful about who we're listening to and what we're letting form our perception um, because we really, we really, really will see it. Um, if a quote-unquote prophet um, in this kind of the spirit-filled world, you know, or circles, uh, comes and tells you that God really is, God wants to bless you with a special blessing today, and you believe that in, a, in that sense, then you will be looking for that blessing. And then anything that happens to you that is good in the next day or several days can be attributed to that prophecy or that word of knowledge or that whatever you want to call it. Um, and that's, I'm not saying that's good or bad or, or, you know, indifferent either way. I'm just saying it shapes the way we, we expect things. So I want to talk a little bit today and maybe the next couple of podcasts, I don't, I don't know how long this is going to go, but I want to pull some, some passages and read actually a couple of chapters, um, today, I think, and or parts of chapters. And I want to look at expectation, um, because whatever we expect, we're going to, in our, in our reality, in our mind, um, we are going to justify seeing those things however true or untrue they may be. Um, many people on the conservative side of the aisle, which I happen to be, I'll just say that out front, I happen to be conservative, I'm probably, probably more libertarian than anything in, in most ways, um, but you know, we wanted to believe that Trump was going to be reelected. Um, and so because that was the expectation, um, there arose all kinds of different ideas as to how that was going to happen. Um, you know, that the election was going to be overturned, that the, you know, voting was all fraudulent, um, that there was going to be a military engagement, all these kinds of things, because that was our expectation. Not, not to offend any of my, you know, good conservative friends, um, I'm not throwing shade on those things. And if you really believe that with all your heart, I, I hurt for you because of the disappointment that you carry. Um, but we, we believe that, and so we were looking for ways to make that happen. And when it didn't happen, then now we suffer with this cognitive dissonance that creates a lot of dis- disappointment and a loss of hope if we're not careful. So we carry the same kind of thing into the, into the believing world. And, um, you know, when I read this book, um, I have a good friend, uh, Jeff Morton, 
who has a podcast, he and Dr. Dina Dye do a podcast together called Returning to Eden. And I would encourage you to go and check it out because it's really been a, 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 neat, uh, a neat dynamic for me to consider. And, and Dina Dye and Jeff have both done a, a lot of work on, on this idea. But this book, this, you can hear my pages real quick, right? This book, this Bible that we have, um, we have generally in the past, or as my experience, we have, have treated this book as a religious book. Um, it's a book of cult practices, not, not occult, and not cult in the bad way. It just, that's what it is. Cult practices and religious observances uh, and, a, and a, a way of how we are supposed to be as a people as we call on and give allegiance to uh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? The God of creation. And yet when we read this book, we, we in the church mainly, we have ceased or we have neglected to see Maybe the political nature of the book, um, maybe because you know we try to separate religion and politics, and, and what are the two things that you never talk, you're told, you know, old, old timers will tell you, you, know, you never talk about religion and politics, right? I think that's really interesting that those are the two things that are singled out. And we try to we try to separate those two things. So um, I can have my religious observance, and that kind of gets me away from having to be involved in the political process. Um, I can I can have my religious observance, and it distracts me. Is really what it is. It's really distracting me from um, from engaging in politics because politics is of the world, right? These are men trying to and women vying for power and doing. But God is the ultimate power. And while that statement is true, when you read the scriptures especially the, the Hebrew scriptures, the Tanakh, um, you see that this is, a, this is a whole story all about kings and judges and priests. It's all government. It's all, uh, it's all politics, right? It's all governments maneuvering for position, um, diplomacy, uh, war. It's all of those things, um, not on the ordinary people level, but on the governmental level, on the, the leadership level. So it's drawn me to kind of really think about this in the, in the sense that can you really separate religion and politics? Um, for me, religion and politics are, are very, very closely, intimately intertwined. Um, they are really in some senses the same, uh, two, two feathers of the same bird. They, they are two sides of the same coin. Um, when we think about the end times and we think about the messianic kingdom, um, how, how do we think about, you know, Yeshua coming to set up his kingdom? And we've talked about this in the last couple episodes, but how do we think about that? Um, the, no matter how you believe Yeshua is going to manifest in his, in his second coming uh, or his next coming, whatever you, whatever, however you think about, about how that's going to happen, at some point, the quote-unquote heavenly kingdom is going to be manifest in the earth, right? We, unless, unless we still believe that there's going to be a rapture and, and all of the righteous are going to be taken out of here and the, God's just going to burn the world up, right? Um, and we'll be in heaven forever and never set foot back on terra firma. If you believe that, this conversation is probably not, not for you. But if you understand that Yeshua is coming back to bring the kingdom to earth, uh, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Um, that, that his kingdom will be manifest on the earth, on terra firma at some time. And his, his kingdom, 
right, which is a government. His government will be manifest on the earth at some point in history. And so still you can't get away from, from you can't separate religion and politics because at some point they're going to bleed together and, and they are going to be, we're going to have to have allegiance to the king of Israel. And even though we're not in Israel, many of us are not Jewish, um, we, you know, we'll, we'll likely maybe never be in the land to, to habitate there. Um, we're going to be part of the nations that are going to be serving the, the king of Israel. I think about that. It's not that we wake up one day, you know, when Yeshua uh, comes and we wake up one day and boom, all of a sudden everyone is, uh, you know, is in a trance, a loyalty trance to the Messiah. There's going to be a, an upheaval of political, I mean, the scripture talks about, you know, Gog and Magog and, and all, you know, Armageddon, all these things that we, that we talk about. This is all government uh, moving against each other and, and all this. And eventually one comes out on top. Right, the, the kingdom of Israel, um, and and my point for kind of going through all that is to say that we cannot separate religion and politics. We absolutely cannot, because this is how God works. I mean, He says over and over, the the King's heart, right, is in my hand. Um, I give you the authorities. I mean, the New Testament talks about this. Paul talks about this. You know, render even Yeshua said, render unto Caesar what is Caesar. I mean. All of this stuff is is intertwined between our what our religious practice is and what our, our musar or what the, the the heart issues are, the quality issues, and and kingdoms here on this earth. So, I, I want to um, just think a little bit about what this means and and what do we do with all this? What what is the what are the the implications? Because that's always the thing. Whenever you have a belief or when you have an expectation. Um, there are always implications to that belief or that expectation. When you learn something new and you begin to change your expectation, then it would, it would follow that there would be other implications. And those are real life things that we have to deal with. So I want to I talk about just going back to the beginning and back to Genesis, back to Bereshit. Um, Adam and Hava, right, are set up as... Um, the if you know the first humans, but if you followed this podcast or followed our, our Shabbat teachings at all, we're we're thinking about Genesis in a different way. Not to say the old way was wrong. We're just looking for a, a, another way, a more helpful way, maybe, of thinking about it. And this idea of in chapter one, Hashem creates uh, mankind, humanity, male and female. So there is a, a group of people that he creates. He creates a population of humans. Um, just like he creates a population of fish and a population of birds. He creates a population of humans. And then chapter two, we, I don't see that as a, a recapitulation or a retelling of day six. I see that as a, a moving on in the story, the next part of the story, that Hashem calls this man named Adam out of the existing population and sets him up in a garden in Eden, a uh, garden of Eden, but really a garden in Eden, as God's first king and high priest. And Adam is chosen, uh, along with Hava, because priests have to be married, along with Hava to spread to, to, to Avod Vashamar, which is to guard and, and tend um, sacred space. 
And he is to do that and to spread the kingdom of, of Hashem, the order of Hashem, the government of Hashem out to mankind, right? Um, we see the same thing happen with Avraham, well, with Noah, and then with Avraham. Um, and then we see it again with Moshe, and then we see it again with the nation of Israel. Um, we, we see it all, it repeats over and over and over. It repeats through the Hebrew scriptures and then culminating in Yeshua. So what we have all throughout scripture is really the tale of two kingdoms. We have a, a, the, the kingdom of what we would call in church the world, um, or the kingdom that is not ordered by God's governmental structure, um, outlined in the Torah, outlined by Avraham, Avinu, all these different things. And we have the kingdom of Hashem. No matter what those other governments are called, they are all the other kingdom. And so when we come back after the break, I want to dive into this a little bit more, and we're going to go to the book of Jeremiah. See you right after the break. Alright everybody, welcome back to the second segment in this episode of Image Bearers Radio. So the tale of two kingdoms, right? We have the, the kingdom of Hashem, which is, which is God's order, which is God's attributes, which is a, a group of people that are bearing His image. That's a part I, we didn't touch on in the first segment. But, you know, Adam and Hava, um, you know, humankind as a, as a corporate creation was created in His image um, to bear His image. And yet we, we don't do that when we don't act according to, um, you know, we don't carry the name, um, the reputation, the character, uh, the authority of the God of creation. And so there is the kingdom of Hashem, and then there is the other kingdom. That could be Assyria, that could be Babylonia, that could be uh, Rome, you know, that could be the Greeks, it could be whoever, um, but it is all part of the other kingdom. And so, really, that's all we're dealing with. We're dealing with two kingdoms. It's, it's not about watching the, the movements necessarily of Iran or China or North Korea or Russia or, you know, all of these things um, versus America. And, and, all, and, and all those dynamics are, are really important, and they all play a role because, I, again, I believe that you can't – this is a governmental book. God works through government. The government will be on his shoulders, Right. Um, it doesn't say the church will be on his shoulders. The government will be on his shoulders. So – um, but the, the other system, if it's not the system of, of Torah, it's not the system of the kingdom of Hashem, it is of the other kingdom. And we can call that Babylon. That's kind of how scripture leans on it, especially in the book of Revelation. Whatever it is, we can call that the other kingdom. So my question ever since COVID hit, when COVID hit, my immediate question was, okay, God, what are we supposed to learn from this? We being the kingdom, believers, the, the church, if you want to call it that, the ecclesia, what are we supposed to be learning from this? What, what is the kingdom of God supposed to be learning from this COVID thing? And then the election hit. And again, my question is, what are we supposed to be learning from this? What are you trying to teach us? So if we go back kind of the first segment, we talked about the, the idea that you know when, when Messiah's kingdom comes and is, is being 
established here on the earth, um, it is going to be a, an, a political upheaval like we've never seen before. And so could it be possibly, one thing to throw out to you is that this, what we're experiencing in America or whatever country you're in and the, the political shiftings that happen in your country, are these things maybe supposed to be training us as the body, us as the image bearers of, of, of Hashem, is this supposed to be training us for how we are supposed to be salt and light? How we're supposed to be um, the you know the upside down kingdom, the 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 sub subjective not subjective um, excuse me the um, uh, subversive subversive method and subversive message that we're putting into the world. Um, Yeshua's ministry and his kingdom establishment was very subversive not subjective, was very subversive um, to not only the Romans, but also to what, what leadership in, in Jewry had become. It was very subversive on, on every level. And so maybe this is like, like, a, like a training ground, and maybe we're supposed to be learning some things um, about who we are supposed to be, who God really is, and what he's really doing. Um, may, you know, All these things are, are, are possibilities that I want to throw out there. So um, I, as, as God dealt with the children of Israel in, in the Exodus, um, we know that, you know, Pharaoh knew not Yosef, um, and we, we, you know, we could talk about that, but, but what happened was, uh, the Israelites were in Goshen, right? They were in Goshen in this beautiful, pristine, abundant, uh, place in Egypt. And they very well could have thought this is the promise of Avram, Avram Avinu. This is the promise of, you know, of prosperity and abundance, a land. We've been given a land. And yet Pharaoh came in and, and, and kind of with, the, with the, the beat of a fist, with the blow of a fist, he, he began to, uh, to make them work, right? To build bricks without straw. They had to find their own straw and all their, all their other things. What I see happening there is a not an an exile in, in a sense, but a scattering out of Goshen through all the parts of Egypt. Um, surely there were Hebrews that were serving in uh, maybe some Egyptian households and courts and, and all that. My point is that they weren't just isolated and uh, and compartmentalized and, and segregated away from all of Egypt just in Goshen. Um, they very well could have been spread all towards the Egyptian empire. And why is that important? Because we know that who came out of Egypt was a mixed multitude. And forgive me, and I can't remember where I saw this or heard this, uh, read this, whatever it may have been, but um, there seems to be a tradition somewhere, and if anyone knows, I'd love if you, you would tell me. There seems to be a tradition somewhere that the majority of people who came out of the Exodus were actually not Israelites, um, maybe up to maybe up to like a third, I think, is the the figure I remember hearing. A third, maybe, of the those that came out uh, in the Exodus were actually Israelites. The rest was Egyptians, Canaanites, Jebusites, Perizzites, uh, Kenizzites, all these all these other uh, you know people that Egypt had taken as slaves into Egypt as their their empire spread and as they conquered more uh, more ground. So the reason I bring that up is because the you know many of us in this walk in this this movement we're looking to go maybe to the land like we want to end up in the land, um, and yet did God spread Israel out you know through throughout Egypt 
um, to be sort of a dragnet, right? To be kind of a, a place where these, these Israelites would go in and, and form relationships with these Egyptians and with these, uh, these other ites, right? And, and, when, and tell them about their God. And then when they came out, it would be a, a dragnet effect. It would, be, it would be a fishers of men kind of, kind of effect. Um, there's a verse in Zechariah that's really interesting. Um, it's Zechariah 7.14. Um, Zechariah seven fourteen and it and it says this is Hashem says um, let's go yeah seven fourteen it says but I scattered them with a whirlwind among the nations whom they knew not thus the land was desolate after them that no man passed through no return for they laid the pleasant land desolate so this word scattered in Hebrew is saar. And uh, it can mean like scattering, uh, like chaff or, or some of those kinds of things. But it, it also has the, the connotation of being scattered like broadcasting seed. So when you scatter seed, um, it, it's, it's not so much for a... Now this, you know, obviously there's a consequence here for disobedience, for disloyalty to Hashem and to the covenant. You know, they break the covenant. Um, but Hashem never does anything just out of punishment. That's not the God that we serve. God never gives a consequence without the doorway to redemption, to geula, uh, to restoration, right? So God may have scattered them, as Zechariah says, I scattered you, but another way to think about that is, yes, there's a horrible consequence. They got kicked out of the land because they made it desolate. They made a pleasant land desolate. And how, what a charge to have le- you know, levied against you. But in that scattering, over and over we see in the prophets that God says, I'm going to bring you back, right? And we have the ideas of the harvest and reaping the harvest. God's intention is not just for those people who he scattered and their descendants to come back, but for them to bring back with them a multitude of people, for them to impact the nations. They're sent into places that verse 14 says they did not know in order, in my opinion, to be an influence on them. How does the kingdom of Hashem spread if it's consolidated to one little area? I, I have a theory that, or a pattern that I see in, in Scripture where every time Israel coalesces and, and becomes its own uh, compartmentalized thing and just worries about itself, it usually turns into, there's usually some form of idolatry or some, some sort of, uh, of disloyalty to the covenant that ends up happening, and God always exiles them or scatters them. And I do believe that's because of a, you know, a compromise of loyalty in, in themselves. But I also believe it's because maybe Israel um, as a whole was never meant to be centralized in the sense of, you know, we, we're going to worry about us and nobody else. I don't think that's the biblical story whatsoever, because God is always wanting to reach out. The whole earth is the Lord's, right? The whole earth is His. And so how does he impact the whole earth through one nation if that nation and that people is not involved in the affairs of the whole earth, of the whole world? And so when we talk about uh, the the Exodus and those kinds of things, we talk about Zechariah, um, I really want to drill down and talk about, um, about Jeremiah. Now, I love the book of Jeremiah. It's probably the prophet, besides Hosea, probably the prophet that I identify with the most. Uh, and I love reading, I love reading Jeremiah. And I was reading through it several months ago. And 
you know, I was waiting through all of Jeremiah. I was waiting to come to, you know, what used to be my life verse when I was, you know, back in high school and college and youth group and stuff. You know, my life verse was Jeremiah 29, 11. And I was waiting the whole time kind of subconsciously to, to, to come to that, that verse. And upon coming to that verse, I read some stuff that I'd never really read before or never really kind of taken note of. So in Jeremiah, Israel is exiled. Um, Babylonia has taken over control of the ancient Near East from the Assyrians, so like big fish swallowing smaller fish. And Babylonia has taken over Assyria, and in doing so, they take over Jerusalem, of course, and destroy the temple. And so Israel is finding itself in this exile, in this place it doesn't know, in Babylonia. And verse 28, I'm sorry, chapter 28, we are introduced to the false prophet Hananiah. And I think this is really important for where we are today. So be patient with me as I read this. If you're not driving or anything, crack open your Bible, uh, Jeremiah 28, and we're going to read through some of this together. So it says, in the fifth month of the same year, uh, the fourth year, early in the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah, uh, the prophet Hananiah, son of Azur, who was from Gibeon, said to me in the house of Hashem, in the presence of the priest and all the people. So um, this prophet Hananiah is is amongst all the you know all the the well mean all the well to do folks. He, he's amongst the uh, the royalty, uh, the priests, and all the people. Verse two. This is what Hashem Almighty. The God of Israel says. So when you say that, uh, realize what you're saying, right? Whatever follows that statement had better be what Hashem said to say, uh, or else that's called speaking presumptuously, right? Verse two, uh, this is what he says. I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. Within two years, I will, bra- I will bring back to this place all the articles of Hashem's house that Nebuchadnezzar King of Babylon removed from here and took to Babylon. I will also bring back the place of Jehoiakim, son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and all the other exiles from Judah who went to Babylon, declares Hashem. For I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. Okay, so this really encouraging prophecy. Two years, man, that's awesome. We only have to wait this thing out two years. We, we, you know, we're people that are lost. We're without hope. We're struggling. We, we, and let me, let me just say this. The reason for exile, um, many, many times, most times I would even venture to say, uh, is because leadership goes astray and leadership leads the people astray. But you, you rarely see or maybe never see in the prophecies having to deal with exile and return where the king is righteous and the people are just a rabble. And so God says, forget you, I'm sending you into exile. He's dealing with the kings that, are, that have been unfaithful and that are unholy or unrighteous. And because of the king's corruption, because of the judge's corruptions, and because of all these things, that's why exile usually takes place. Surely there are people within the, the, the nation of Israel that are loyal, that are faithful, that are doing what they're supposed to be doing to the best of their ability and their knowledge, and they're, they're being a, as faithful, and they're walking with as much fidelity um, and holiness that they possibly can. But because the leadership has gone astray, that's what triggers exile many times, or most times. And so verse five, so I mean, let's just think about that for a second before we move on to verse five. So you have these people now in exile and, and they hear these words from Hananiah and they think like, yes, 
Yes, there's hope, right? So verse five, so the prophet Jeremiah replied to the prophet Hananiah before the priests and all the people who were standing in the house of Hashem. He said, amen, may the Lord do so. Jeremiah's like, yeah, that would be awesome. May the Lord fulfill the words you have prophesied by bringing the articles of Hashem's house and all the exiles back to this place from Babylon. Nevertheless, I listen to what you say in your hearing and the hearing of all the people. From early times, the prophets who preceded you and me have prophesied war, disaster, plague against many countries and great kingdoms. But the prophet who prophesies peace will be recognized as one truly sent by Hashem only if his prediction comes true. So this, this prophecy of peace and, and all these kinds of things is, is aberrant to what the prophecy, the line of prophecy has been. Verse 10, then the prophet Hananiah took the yoke off the neck of the prophet Jeremiah and broke it. And he said, before all the people, this is what Hashem says. In the same way, I will break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, off the neck of all the nations within two years. At this, the prophet Jeremiah went on his way. After the prophet Hananiah had broken the yoke off the neck of the prophet Jeremiah, the word of Hashem came to Jeremiah. Go and tell Hananiah, this is what Hashem says. You have broken a wooden yoke, but in its place, you will get a yoke of iron. This is what Hashem Almighty, the God of Israel says. I will put an iron yoke on the necks of all these nations to make them serve Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. And they will serve him and I will give him control over the wild animals. <sighs> Hashem said, I'm, I am going to force the nations to serve this guy. I am going to do that. Whatever mode or method that, that takes, this is what's going to happen. Verse 15, the prophet Jeremiah said to Hananiah the prophet, Listen, Hananiah, Hashem has not sent you, yet you have persuaded this nation to trust in lies. The, the, I don't know if Hananiah, we can't psychoanalyze Hananiah, right? We don't know if he, you know, if he had good intention. We don't know if maybe he was, uh, he wanted to be cozy and wanted to, to, you know, be in good company and, and good, good reputation with the leadership and with the people, with the priests and with the people as it talks about. And so maybe he, he said, well, like, this is what everybody wants. So I'm going to give this prophecy. Uh, speaking as from the Lord, we don't we don't know if if he had ill intent or if he genuinely thought you know this thought he heard from from God. Um, verse sixteen. Therefore, this is what Hashem says: I'm about to remove you from the face of the earth. This very year, you're going to die because you have preached rebellion against Hashem. In the seventh month of that same year, Hananiah the prophet died. So, what is the rebellion against Hashem? This is the way I read it. That that because of Israel's disloyalty, because of whatever reasons, Hashem said, no, the, there's going to be exile and it's going to be bad and I'm going to allow Babylonia, King Nebuchadnezzar, to take over and to, to put a yoke on the nations. And that is my will. That is what I'm going to do. And yet Hananiah said, oh, no, 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 no. No, 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 that's not what God's going to do. God is going to restore everything. And, and he caused a hope to rise up in the people that he caused them to expect something certain so that their hope would be misplaced. And, and this rebellion against the will of Hashem, we tend to think that the will of God always is going to be what we think is good for us as in a sense of what's going to be comfortable and easy and what's going to be you know, in our minds the right way what's going to be best for us the way we believe and the way we think about it. And yet 
Jeremiah calls out a rebellion through Hananiah's words. And I just think that's absolutely staggering. How many, how many of us, going back to expectation and perception, how many of us have been told this is the way it's going to be and this is what God is going to do and this is, and I'm not just talking about this election cycle, I'm talking about cosmically, like in general. This is what God's going to do, this is how God works, um, you know, these are the things that God wants and, and, I, and, and this is what God, you know, God said, quote unquote, um, that he's going to do. When actually it's rebellion, you know, I have a, a whole kind of soapbox thing um, that I do on, on uh, Joel chapter two. Um, for years and years and years, and I've talked about this before, I have been you know, told and it's been preached at us and to us that God is going to, um, God is going to you know, uh, remove the, the canker, you know, restore the years, restore the years that the locust and the palmer worm and the canker worm uh, stole from us. And those preachers conveniently stop right there but in the text, in Joel chapter 2, there's no verse break. There's no, there's no break at all. Um, but we never read the second part of that, that wonderful promise that God says, I'll restore the years that the pomeroy and the cake, whatever, um, stole from you. And the way it's preached is that that's the enemy. That's Satan, right? That's Lucifer that's taking away all this stuff. And God's going to crush him and he's going to restore. But that's not what this, the verse says. He says, I'll restore all of those years and then the, the next three words are my great army. And the next three words, or four words, is which I sent among you. These are the things that God has done. Not that the enemy has done, that God himself has done. And this is kind of the same thing that I see happening right here in the story of Hananiah and Jeremiah. Hananiah is saying, oh, it's great. It's going to be good. And, what, and, and Jeremiah says, no, that's not the will of Hashem. The will of Hashem is for us to be in bondage. That's, that's his will. Whoa, what a radical statement it is. For this time and for this season, we're to be in bondage under King, King Nebuchadnezzar. If we go into, verse, into chapter 29, we may have to actually wait and get to the rest of chapter 29 next week, but I'll, I'll read as much as I can because I think this is really fascinating. So verse 20, uh, chapter 29, verse 1 says, this is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem, so he's, he's still in Jerusalem, to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Verse 2, this was after King Jehoiakim uh, and the queen mother and the court officials and the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem and skilled workers and artisans has gone into exile from Jerusalem. Then he had trusted letter to uh, Elisah, son of Shaphan, and uh, to Gamaria, son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. And it said, This is what Hashem Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Now, this, is, this just blows my mind, and it, it breaks my, my mind a little bit. This is, what, this is what Hashem says to those of you that are in exile. And when we think about exile... We think about it generally, as I said before, as a consequence, and it is. Exile is certainly a consequence. Um, I personally believe that exile is the most severe consequence of any of those that we find in Scripture. Um, for instance, the temple, uh, you know, if you desecrated the temple, uh, you may be cast out of the, you know, out of the congregation. Um, you know, you have to wash, you have to bring offerings, all these different things, um, and yet, Exile is, is sort of the last straw. 
Hashem uses exile only as a last resort when all of his other pleadings and, and calls for repentance uh, go unanswered. And so these people who are in exile, they've been stripped from their homes, they've been, they've been stripped from their land, from the, the place that they love, from the place that is promised to them, and they're serving now uh, they're, they're slaves, they're exiles in this other kingdom, right? And so Jeremiah says, this is the word of Hashem. He says to all those carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, verse five, build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce, marry and have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not, de- do not decrease. <sighs> Does that sound a little bit like Egypt? There was no word of the Lord that we know of that came to, the, you know, to Jacob's family in, in Egypt, but this sounds a lot like Egypt. Go into Goshen, go in, build homes, plant vineyards, prosper. And what does is, what is, uh, Exodus tell us that happened? The people became numerous. They became so numerous that the Egyptians were really nervous. Like, hey, if a war ever breaks out, we're, we're stuck, right? The, and they side with the other people. They're, they're too numerous for us. This is exactly what Jeremiah is telling those in exile in Babylon. Really interesting dots that are connected between the Exodus story and the exile in Babylon. So, We're out of time for this week. Next week, we're going to continue reading in Jeremiah and flesh out some thoughts about how this may apply to us current day and what's our responsibility as image bearers of Hashem. Shalom, shalom. 